a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. In this podcast, we discuss international politics, but we choose the juicy stuff, the really interesting stuff that is going on around the world, and then we break it down and make it really easy to understand. And there is no one better. And this man, Dr. Keith Souter, who has been a commentator in Australian media on international politics for decades, he's a household name, and we've worked together as well on radio and TV and and podcasting now. My name's Kate Mack, and he's also got three PhDs on international politics. There is no one more qualified for this, by the way, as well. Um, Today, Islamic State, what's happened to them? You've gone quiet, but have they? A year since al-Bakar al-Baghdadi, he was the leader of ISIS, IS, whatever you want to call them. It's been a year since he died, Keith, but what has happened? But just because there's been COVID and no attacks, they're still around. Absolutely. So what is happening is that, as you say, yes, a a year ago now, US Special Operations Forces hunted down the leader of the Islamic State, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and he then detonated a suicide vest and blew himself up. The worry that some of us have got is that the Islamic State is still operating um, because it gets op- gets access to millions of dollars and has connections with middle people and front companies across the Middle East. And the Islamic State is still a major problem, not just within the Middle East, but also parts of North Africa. So just by way of background, so the Islamic State grew out of Al-Qaeda. So Al-Qaeda, meaning the base, was set up by... Osama bin Laden, he was aiming to fight off at that time the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan uh, and was supported by the Americans. The Soviet Union withdrew from Afghanistan in 1989 after a, a decade of trying to occupy the country and the Americans lost interest in Afghanistan. They, they were, they'd been supporting Osama bin Laden in his fight against the Soviet Union Once the Soviet Union admitted defeat, the Americans let it slip off their radar screen. And so Afghanistan then fell into chaos. Eventually, a group of young Islamic scholars took over control. They were called the Taliban. Taliban means seeker. So they took over the country. They cleaned it up in a very brutal way. Girls and and women were banned from being on the street, unless, of course, they were escorted by an adult male. They were just a very basic conservative Islamic regime. So this this is then Al-Qaeda. And then you get, of course, the, the suicide terrorism attacks on the United States in 2001, for which Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda get blamed. So then the Americans move back into Afghanistan with a view to getting hold of their former partner, Osama bin Laden preferably having him killed. I think that if they had to put him on trial, he might have spoke a little too freely about <laughs> uh, what he knew, uh, the, the Americans that he had dealt with over the years. Anyway, they never did get uh, bin Laden. At that, well, they didn't at that time. He just le- he left the country. He went over the border and lived in retirement in Pakistan, near the Pakistani military academy. The Americans, meanwhile, remained bogged down in Afghanistan. And, of course, Donald Trump, as we speak, is doing his best to get out of Afghanistan. So that that is Al-Qaeda. The war on terror has given rise to what some of us would call the long war. 
So the long war is essentially this dispute that's going on within the Islamic community. It is not the West versus Islam. It is actually parts of Islam fighting each other. It's the Sunni and the Shia. It's Saudi Arabia and Iran. It's the forces of modernization versus the forces of being conservative. These are divisions within the Islamic community, which the Islamic community has to sort out. But from time to time, Western people get drawn into this bigger struggle. The struggle itself, we call it the long war. It'll run on for at least 100 years. Do you mean the struggle between Western and... No, no, not Western. No, we're, like, we're collateral damage. The, the, the struggle is within the Islamic community. They've got to sort themselves out. Mm. The analogy I use, although it, you've got to be careful not to push it too far, is the issue of the Protestants and Catholics from 1517 to 1649. More Germans per capita were killed in that struggle than were killed in the two world wars. Germans? Yeah, Germans. It was fought partly on what we would now call Germany. So that was between 1517, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, and it finished in 1649 with the Treaty of Westphalia. So we have this struggle then going on within Europe as the Christian groups try to work out how they're going to cope with the modern era, how they're going to cope with each other, etc. I think something similar is happening now within the Islamic world. So I say I, I do not want to push that Catholic-Protestant thing too much because it can be a bit misleading. I think the Islamic state is actually, or the Islamic world is actually far more divided than that. Um, and we can see that with Al-Qaeda. So Al-Qaeda said that we're going to work for the liberation of Afghanistan. We want to drive the Americans out. We want to export revolution. Now, remember that the people who are running the country at this time were the Taliban. And the Taliban were a Pashtun group. Pashtuns live either side of the Pakistan-Afghanistan border. And they um, were saying, we just want to have Afghanistan to ourselves. We're not interested in world revolution. We just want to sort out. So you've already got a difference there between the Taliban, who are hosting al-Qaeda, and al-Qaeda that had global ambitions as a global brand. What is interesting is that bin Laden was concerned about some of the brutality of some of the people being used in uh, elsewhere in the Middle East. So in, in 2003... We get this crazy decision of the Americans, the British and Australians to invade Iraq, right? So they were already bogged down in Afghanistan in 2001. Two years later, they decide they're going to tackle Iran. In fact, I was in New York for the first, for Channel 7, for the first anniversary of 9-11. And in 2002, I was at the UN General Assembly when President Bush shocked us all but instead of talking about what he was going to do in Afghanistan, he suddenly said the real problem is Iran. Uh, sorry, Iraq, and we're going to focus on Iraq. And so... And which from, wasn't on anyone's agenda, No, by the way. not on anybody's agenda. And, and so suddenly we were beginning to predict a war that would take place, an American invasion of Iraq. So that was in September 2002. The invasion gets underway the following year. Iraq falls apart. Saddam Hussein was convinced that the Americans would never invade Iraq because he said nobody was stupid enough to invade Iraq because of the complexity of the country. Mm. Well. Well, he obviously hadn't met George Bush. Or Dick Cheney. <laughs> so the invasion goes ahead. Now, the I underestimated just how valuable oil was. Oil is important, mm. but it's also finishing daddy's business. Remember, George w, George W. Bush, the son of George Bush Sr., 
He had liberated Kuwait from Iraq but did not then go on into Iraq. Very sensible. The mm. father was a lot more sensible than the son. <laughs> so, so Iraq starts to fall apart. Al-Qaeda now is able to get involved in Iraq, right? Saddam Hussein kept them out before. The Al-Qaeda are conservative Muslims. Mm. Saddam Hussein was a socialist and a nationalist. Okay, he, he, he gave the impression that he was a Muslim, but that was not his number one ambition. Very dif- different from Osama bin Laden. So Al-Qaeda now, because of the chaos in Iraq after the invasion of 2003, Al-Qaeda now gets a foothold and they then start uh, to represent yet another force in this chaotic struggle that we've seen within Iraq. And they become, of course, very sectarian. They're Sunni. Majority population in Iraq are Shia. So they're killing Americans, but they're also killing the Shia as well. And bin Laden is horrified because his global revolution is falling apart because you've got these local factions who are running with their own agenda. And so in the end, the Islamic State is formed separately from al-Qaeda with a, a, a desire to become far more violent than bin Laden was allowing people to be. And so um, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi wrote a, a textbook well before the invasion of Iraq saying this is how we should fight the war. And he talks about the theatre of terrorism. In other words, Western countries love violence. Okay, we'll play to that game. So what we will do is to cut off people's heads with blunt knives. And we will film it and we'll stream it on the internet. Bin Laden was horrified at that because he said, you're damaging the brand of al-Qaeda. So Islamic State, under Abu Bakr Baghdadi, said, well, we're, we're giving up on you. You're far too moderate. We're going to go down this very violent track. Then he went a step further. He did so well in Iraq in taking the country over is that he then declared a, a total Islamic State. He rewrote the borders that had existed from the end of World War I. And so... Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi then um, creates this Islamic state. The first Islamic state was that created by the Prophet Muhammad, Mm. peace be upon his name. So what we've now got is this separate piece of territory run by this um, charismatic but elusive Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. You're listening to Global Truth. Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about the 12 months since Abu Bakr Bakr (laughs) al-Baghdadi, got it right, who was the leader of ISIS, died 12 months ago. It's been very quiet, but of course it has been COVID as well. We have had bushfires, all sorts of things happening in Australia and worldwide that have detracted from them and their activities. But they are still existent. Um, They're still active. And we're just talking about the history of ISIS, really. And really, you cannot question this man's ambition, Keith. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> so what he did then, he took over part of Iraq and part of Syria. So it's ISIS is Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. So redrawing the boundaries had been drawn up by the British and the French at the end of World War I when they took over the old Turkish Empire that covered that end of the, of the Mediterranean. So he then said, I'm now going to create a separate state. Now, for some of the, the more fundamental, or well, some of the other fundamentalists will say, well, you can't do that because it's just not secure. But he said, well, we've taken over an oil-rich part of Iraq. We will start selling the oil. So oil was then sold through Turkey 
to the rest of the world. The trucks were, were spotted from the air, but you know, business is business. Everybody was colluding in financing the Islamic State. So it became a very rich organisation. The problem was the Islamic State had immense ambitions, and so they antagonised the countries in that immediate region. So although you've got Islamic countries, they, they, are, they don't see themselves as being as, as violent or as fundamentalist as the Islamic State. And so what we've seen over the period since um, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi declared the Islamic State is that you had a number of countries involved in fighting back against that. So in a sense, he united a lot of the enemy against him, which was a stupid move that he made. So there was this global coalition to defeat the um, Islamic State. Uh, Similarly, Western countries devised new policies to prevent their citizens from travelling into that area, prevent them from being recruited. There was a a marvellous documentary made about young girls, how they were recruited to become the brides of Islamic State. What was that documentary? Because I want to see that. I heard about it ages ago. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting one. And it, it shows the power of the internet and how sophisticated the Islamic State were. So... Which you just can't quite believe, no. really, when you see them it's living a, in dirt well, huts. Remember, you know? they've got a lot of money. They've got oil money, yeah. right? They've got a yep. lot of money. Yep. So they employ these IT geeks. And so you end up with women who sidle up beside girls, so to speak, in cyberspace who are looking at cat videos and engage them in a conversation by saying, and, of course, the Prophet Muhammad also liked cats. And then so here you get, and this is a Canadian study because it was dealing with a group of Canadian girls who were recruited from Canada, under the noses of their parents, then flown to Turkey and taken over land to become brides of the Islamic State warriors. And, of course, because a lot of those warriors were dying, they had multiple husbands. Oh, God. <laughs> so, and, of course, we've got Australians. Mm. Who did the who same thing. Up, yep. Yeah, who've yep. ended up in, in a similar problem. So bit by bit, Western governments managed to stop their uh, citizens from travelling overseas. And also, of course, there have been attempts to try to crack down on the financing of those groups as well, the Islamic State in particular. So bit by bit, the the physical caliphate was destroyed and eventually the uh, the leader himself, Abu Bakr Baghdadi, one year ago, uh, was cornered and blew himself up. What we're now looking at a year later in celebrating the death of that very unpleasant character (laughs) is nonetheless the way in which we now have Islamic State affiliates who are active in West Africa, uh, North Africa, uh, South and Southeast Asia. So that's right on our doorstep here, Mm. right? And as well as other parts of of, of Africa, like Congo and Mozambique, there have been attacks in Tanzania, that's East Africa. So what we're seeing then is that The Islamic State, very sophisticated. Okay, no longer is a state, but it's a brand. It's like Al-Qaeda. It's now become a brand. And so the Islamic State does a survey of countries that are fragile and failed states with weak borders, high levels of corruption, and weak security forces. And they then exploit the gaps in the system. Remember, that's how they got going in Afghanistan in the first place. They were not able to thrive under Saddam Hussein. They could not have operated under Saddam Hussein. But 
once he was removed and Iraq fell into chaos, then the Islamic, well, was then Al-Qaeda and then later becomes Islamic State, they were able to exploit that vacuum. And they're using that same technique in places around the world, where, as I say, you've got those uh, failed states, weak borders, high levels of corruption, weak security forces, and then that's how they um, get going. And, of course, it's interesting, you know, President Trump keeps saying, oh, we've defeated the group. Oh, no, you haven't. It's still in business, and I think it's going to be around for an awfully long time. It may not be called Islamic State. It may change its name, but it's going to continue to have problems. Um, and as we've seen with recent attacks in France, people are inspired nonetheless by the Islamic State. So as I say, this is a long war. It's going to last for an awfully long time. It's really not so much a dispute between the West and Islam, but it's within Islam itself. It's got to come to terms. Remember, when it comes to the attacks of Islamic terrorism, most of the victims have been fellow Muslims. That's what I think a lot of people in the West always forget. Yep. Dr. Keith, is there going to be a resolution to this, though? What's the likelihood and how long will it take? It, who knows? If it's the long war, we could be talking about it for, well, we will be talking about it for decades to come. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 